Why are you here? Why are you here? What brought you to Mount Troy Mennonite Church this Sunday morning? What brings you to church on any given Sunday morning? Is it just what you do? Is this a lifetime, you know, commitment routine that you have? Did you come because you're like, well, it's kind of rainy. Might as well go to church. Did you come because you heard that we have free hot chocolate afterwards? Spoiler alert, we actually have free hot chocolate afterwards. So if you came for those reasons, not saying there's anything wrong with them, I want you to also think about throughout this morning, who do you, who do we come to church for? We're going to come back to those questions. So this sermon series that Carl has been walking us through is built around the question, how does being a follower of Jesus shape or impact the way that we approach our relationships? And so last week, Carl walked us through how it impacts our relationships with other Christians, right? How we need to have a Jesus-shaped mindset. What does it mean to fight fair with one another? And if you grow up as a Mennonite, whenever you hear the term fight, you're like, oh, that's intriguing. I wonder how we're going to do that since we mostly are supposed to be peacemakers. So if you haven't listened to that, I do encourage you to go back uh, and listen to Carl's sermon. But this week, I have the privilege of walking us through what this means what being a follower of Jesus means in our relationships with non-believers. And Jason, again, I appreciate your honesty in thinking about, you know, what does this look like? Don't I do a pretty good job? You know, I'm a pretty good person. But we're going to dive hopefully a little bit deeper than that this morning. And I also recognize that for some of us in Lancaster County, depending on your current plot in life, maybe you're like, hey, I don't really interact with many non-believers. You know, maybe your current situation is one that, other than the grocery store or whatnot, you don't really have many friends or family or or other individuals. And so you think, how relevant is this sermon? I'm going to tell you, I think it's pretty relevant, but we're going to let you see for yourself. So how should we interact with non-believers? What is the big answer to that question? Love, right? Whether it's somebody we're meeting for the first time, whether it's a family or friend that we've known throughout our entire lives, we are called to love them. And this is not brand new, right? You're like, hey, I've been going to church forever. I understand that. Love God, love others as ourselves. This is not brand new. However, I think it's important to understand also not just how we view ourselves, right? When you're with a whole bunch of Christians, you're like, we're doing a pretty good job. We're pretty loving. We're pretty fabulous. We're pretty kind. But what what do others, what are individuals that we would say are, are not followers of Jesus? What are they saying about Christians at this time? And one of the number one adjectives that I've heard to describe Christians, particularly in the Western church, in my own experience, is judgmental. Judgmental. Sounds a little different than, than loving. But if you look up Wikipedia, in, in Wikipedia, if you look up what a Christian is, right, you're like, hey, starting with a blank slate, what is a Christian? The definition they give is Christians are people who follow, follow or adhere to Christianity, a monotheistic, meaning one God, Abrahamic, religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I think we can safely say the resounding message of Jesus preaching, his teaching, and his actions throughout his life revolved around his ceaseless, sacrificial, humble, powerful love for all of those that he encountered. And yet how often in history, or recently, or even in the present moment, are Christians much more known for what we are against than what we are for? Who we are against rather than who we are for. And that is, uh, when I was thinking through this this week, it was the magnitude, I think, of that really hit me. 
And I was like, that is, that is so devastating, right? It's so devastating that the very way that we, the message we are trying to pass to the world is often either misinterpreted or it's not being passed the way that it should. What, what as Christians can we be doing better? And if we're sitting there, you know, if we're sitting here this morning and you're like, well, you know, people don't know us. That's a very general, bold statement. You can't say that about all Christians, that we're all judgmental. And so if initially you're like, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't sound like me at all. I'm going to ask you to kind of put down that guard just for another 20 minutes or another three hours, depending how long this takes. It'll, it'll be more like 20 minutes. Um, but to, to put down that guard, and, and so how can we, how can we, prod through this this morning and find out how we can better allow the love of Jesus to flow through us, not just in being a good person, but in being a person that is a devoted follower of Jesus. And so for those of us joining here today or whether online uh, that consider ourselves Christians, my guess is that we all became followers of Christ in different ways, right? The beauty of a whole congregation is that we've all gotten here in different ways. Our paths have looked different. But I would imagine that it wasn't somebody standing over you, condemning you, that brought you into the love of Jesus, right? If somebody is telling me about all my terrible sin, all my wrongdoings, how awful of a person I am, I'm not like, wow, wonderful, please tell me what is a better way. Because usually when I'm being offended like that, I enter again into a defensive state, and I'm no longer interested in hearing about this loving, grace-filled God that you want to talk about. And so I'm not saying that there's not a time to confront people. There's not a time to challenge. But what I am saying is that it has to be done in a loving relationship. And so think of it this way. Paul writes in Colossians, as Jason read earlier, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, that we, mo- pro- that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. And those statements that I I said earlier don't sound too seasoned with salt. They don't sound too full of grace, right? So what we are charged with is how can we make the most of every opportunity? How can we see when a door is being opened and we can step in in a loving way? And what I would say is that we need the Holy Spirit's guiding, right? Even as Jason Jason mentioned this morning, what's different is that I need the Holy Spirit to actively be combating against myself. When I feel like I have it all together, that I'm at a really good place, I need the Holy Spirit to be like, you know what, but there's more. There's more opportunities. There's more individuals that I want you to be interacting with, to be loving on. Complacency. I absolutely agree. I think that is the devil saying, hey, you know what? Stay where you are. Because what I don't want to see you is growing in love anymore. And often questions in my own relationships with nonbelievers, what, I, what I've come to know is that when individuals are ready to ask questions, it's a telltale sign that they're ready to hear my answers. Right? So when somebody is asking me about my own experiences, all of a sudden it seems that they're in a very receptive place to hear maybe about my faith or my life as a follower of Jesus. And so rather than build up the relationship in a judgmental, you are so wrong type of way, if I can do it in a loving sense and wait for that door of opportunity, practicing patience and kindness along the way. Judgment closes doors. 
Loving relationships opens doors. So another adjective that is often used when discussing Christians is that we are hypocritical. And you're like, wow, what an upbeat message this morning. Judgmental, hypocritical. And it sounds really harsh, right? And again, I understand that we're not always hypocritical all the times, but Jesus even himself called the Pharisees. Well, you, you know, we might not feel like Pharisees, but I can tell you that I likely, when I line it up, identify with Pharisees often more than others. Even Jesus himself calls Pharisees hypocrites at three different parts in the, chap- in the book of Mark. Six times in one chapter. I feel like he was trying to make a point. Because what I say often doesn't line up what I, what I say doesn't often line up with what I do. I love to talk about Christian theology, right? What is, what is good? How do I love those around me? How do I sacrifice my own pleasures and my own desires for the sake of those around me? How do I give to the poor? How do I enter into relationships with others? And yet, if you look at my day-to-day, rarely am I like, wow, you're doing a really great job. So what I say and what I do often don't line up. And, you know, everybody does this. And so I think, again, that that is the point. The point is that I need the grace of God to acknowledge that while I profess to want to behave a certain way, I do fall short many times. And by the grace of God, I can continue to progress. And I think another way that we fall short with non-Christians is that we, we try and put on this face of, you know what, being a Christian is just wonderful. It's awesome. I'm always upbeat. I'm always optimistic. Everything is okay. If we could be more authentic and less superficial with non-believers, I think it could look a little bit different. And I think the intention is good, right? We want to show that a life with Jesus is enriching, that it's a better way, and it it genuinely is. But it's not better because my life is wonderful and I'm a good person. It's better because of who God is, right? So if I can constantly be redirecting to the nature of Jesus instead of my own nature. So when I engage with a non-believer, the more I make my goal to look holier to them, to look like my life is better, the less approachable I become. And, you know, I've talked with some youth specifically, not necessarily in our church, but in the Christian community who find it very difficult to always be smiling, I've talked to one who say, you know, I don't always feel good, but I'm told that I should always be smiling. And I was so devastated to think how difficult it would be to lead a life where you're always trying to put on a face that you don't feel. And as adults in a Christian community, I think we have to be better with being more authentic with our own individuals in the church and also with non-believers to say, I have really bad days. But praise God that amidst those circumstances, he is still good. I don't feel like he's good right now, but I know in my heart that he is still good. Jesus does not offer immunity from problems. However, he offers an uplifting, loving partner to do life with. But I think we do a disservice to falsely advertise what Christianity is and what it is not. And the beauty of it is actually my faults and my missteps, they offer a great opportunity to shine the focus on Jesus' character rather than my own. So I can admit that I messed up, I can repent, and I can show what it's like to receive the forgiveness from God. But how how do kids, I think of this with my nieces, how do they learn this if I am not modeling that to them? And that's a big charge. It's hard to admit when you messed up. But when I mess up, 
the whole point is that I'm pointing to myself. My selfishness contradicts the selfless nature of God. My weakness points to how strong God really is. And that when I fall, when I acknowledge this to my non-Christian friends, I can then model and take the opportunity to minister them to how the love of Jesus, the fellowship of other believers, encourages me to get back up. It empowers me to know that I am still loved amidst my shortcomings. Be authentic, not superficial, when relating to friends who are not followers of Jesus. Because authenticity, it opens doors. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Charles Ringma, who is, he writes a devotional about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He expands on this quote, and he says, We are not to be gullible. Instead, we should be discerning in our relationships with others. If someone regularly breaks his word and acts irresponsibly, then we can hardly continue to relate to that person as if nothing happened. But, this is the real big but, but we cannot withdraw either. Love calls us to confront, to challenge, to encourage, but only in such a way that change and growth are always possible. Loving confrontation has nothing to do with judging the other person. Instead, it calls the confronter and the one confronted to grace and responsibility. So what we're saying is, you know, there, there are times with individuals that I'm friends with that are non-Christians that we have, I mean, we're in essence kind of on maybe different moral playing grounds, right? My religious beliefs may put me at a different spot than my non-Christian friends. Not above, not below, but just that I might operate on these morals, these understandings, biblical truths that a non-Christian would say, you know, I don't really agree with. And so the first thing is to say that we can agree to disagree, but also that I'm not disagreeing with the person. I'm disagreeing maybe with their standpoint, with their opinions, but I am with the person because the person always matters regardless of where they stand. It's also important to recognize that there are seasons where we have individuals that we relate to that maybe we need to take a step back, right? And so Bonhoeffer says this, that there is a time, a season that we have to maybe back up and we, we analyze, what do I do in this situation? How do I approach this in a loving way without agreeing with everything that the person is doing? And that's something that we can seek counsel with, right? We have small groups. We have other individuals in the church. How, how should I approach this? Pray for the Holy Spirit to discern. And I think even about, you know, the added verse that I put in of chapter 17 that, that Jason was referencing to, to do right by everybody. I'm going to tell you, that takes a lot of discernment from the Holy Spirit because the truth is, I don't know what's right always. We like to think that it's very simple what is right and wrong, but there's a whole world of gray, and I need guidance from the Holy Spirit in the day-to-day. So when I am hit, when I am hurt, can I then step back and offer patience and kindness even when everything in in me wants revenge? And I think as Christians, we often like to deny that, you know, we, we seek that revenge. The truth is we're all people. So if I get slapped in the face, you better believe that my first step is forward, right? But the point is, even then that is my impulse, can I then take a step back, 
recognize that this is not what I'm called to. It doesn't mean that I don't want to. It means that I am called to something else. That's difficult to practice. In Romans 12, it says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Truthfully, that's a Holy Spirit interaction right there. So if you're not interacting with the Holy Spirit on day-to-day, better get on board because to do right by everybody, that sounds very difficult. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, there's another. Do you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, that packs such an intense charge that it's kind of a lot to take in. But as far as it depends on you, you are not responsible for the way that somebody else acts. The, well, the words that they say, but you are responsible for you. And so your part in that relationship needs to be one of a peacemaker, not somebody who just sits back and enjoys peace. To be a peacemaker, to be in a, a, a situation that is chaotic and say, I'm going to work for peace for both of us because I want the best for the other individual, whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is always the, one of the defining things, right? That's what sticks out, I think, to the world is when something happens and we don't react in the same way. So when someone spreads rumors about me at school or at work, can I replace my impulse for revenge with an act of peace? And it might seem crazy. And you know what? It's the kind of, of crazy that doesn't make sense that catches people's attention because the love of Jesus is a very radical love. If somebody comes and they challenge my faith, right? They're like, what? What did you say about my faith? Can I take a step back and be like, you know what? The life of Jesus, it, it speaks for itself. I am not here as the defender of Christianity, the defender of the life of Jesus. Jesus speaks for himself. So can I take a step back when I feel so challenged, so threatened, and be like, what is this? Why do I feel so threatened in this way? When someone comes to me in need and I give to them, I offer them my time, my energy, my financial means, and I don't even get a thank you. Can you imagine? I don't even get a thank you. In that moment, I would urge us to catch ourselves, and I have to do this for myself and be like, I am not giving, so I receive a thank you. That's what the world does. Gives and expects something in return. I am giving because this is the call of Jesus on my life. This is is what I have been called to do to all of those around me, to the ones where it's the most difficult, that's where followers of Jesus should be. And who knows, because maybe this can be the door of opportunity, right? Maybe your reaction or your lack of reaction to somebody who has offended you catches somebody, and they think, you know what, I'm going to ask them about that. Maybe it'll be a year down the way, but maybe it's a door that is slowly being opened for the word and the love of Jesus to pour through. Can I seek the opportunity? Can I discern the open doors? Because as Christians, our love, and let me speak for myself, my love for others has often been less than mediocre. And I think it's time to step up. How vastly different our world would look if Christians We're trying to draw, we're working so hard to draw people into the church because of kindness, because of love, because of grace that we have first received. In Titus chapter 3, he says, We lived in malice and envy, and this is we, this is all of us, being hated and hating one another. But 
when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Praise God. But that is our story, and that is an everyday occurrence. Jesus didn't come to save just you and me. He came to save the world. And so the world is who we have to be interacting with. Let me be consistent in my love for non-Christian friends. Let me hold my expectations high for myself because I know, I know what God is calling me to. Let me have lower, not lower, but let me not worry so much about my expectations for those around me, particularly those that aren't followers of Jesus. And when I mess up, which I absolutely will, when I let my anger get the best of me and I yell, whether it's at work, out in public somewhere, or I say something offensive, maybe it's a joke, and I realize how offensive it is to a group of people, can I ask for forgiveness? Can I admit that it was wrong? Or in my, in my business life, if I'm constantly kind of cutting lines, nobody really notices, but I'm cutting lines, not living a life of integrity, can I step up and say, you know what, this isn't right. I am called to better than this. And then can I model what it looks like to step up to ask for forgiveness and to move forward in a positive way? May I have the courage to confess. Professor Carl Dweck from Stanford University has done a lot of research with social innovation and the importance of having a growth mindset. And what she has found in her research is how powerful it can be for individuals and groups of people to believe that people are not in, in a fixed permanent state. That sounds kind of confusing. It was when I first read it. And then she broke it down, basically to believe that people can change. And so what she's looked at is high schoolers, even in areas where, you know, crime is, is very high. Individuals that have a growth mindset who believe that somebody who commits crimes will not always commit crimes. To believe that somebody, like a school, let's say I'm a bully at school, to believe that while I'm called a bully, I won't always be a bully or I don't always have to be a bully. That there is the opportunity for growth. There is the opportunity for change. What she's found is how powerful that is in getting people to work together. Because if I can look at somebody, somebody that's not a Christian, maybe we have such opposite views, but I can look at them and think, you know what? There could be a point where we see more eye to eye. Or maybe it's me. Maybe I continue to fail, but I believe that just because I am a sinner doesn't mean I will always engage in such sinful behavior. I have the capability through the love of Jesus to grow. She's even done work in the Middle East, finding that working across battle lines to have this growth mindset is very powerful in working towards peace. And when I read this, I was so excited because don't we as Christians align with the idea that no one is beyond saving? That for surely the resurrecting love of Jesus applies to everyone because it's applied to me. Praise God. And as we have grace and hope for our non-believing friends, may we also understand again that we are works in progress. Believing that growth is possible opens doors. May I be more concerned about today being more loving, being more kind, being more like Jesus than about yesterday. I can look back and I say, you know what? I messed up. I genuinely did. And I can acknowledge it and then I can move forward. Because living in the guilt of it isn't going to benefit anyone. But I do have to acknowledge that it was wrong. And you know what? I'm going to pray that today I do better, that I am better 
and that my brothers and sisters in Christ will help move me forward in positive ways. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit is not possible. I truly don't think it is. And my goal also shouldn't be to be the most loving person around. You know, it's the Olympic season, and so I always think, like, how many times are we like, I'm going to be the most loving person ever? Gold medal for me. Like, no, there's no gold medal for that. And, again, the whole point is that it's a genuineness, that it is received from God in a humble manner. Not so I can say, listen to all the non-Christians I talked to this week, I was loving on everybody. That's not, that's not the, the mode that I want to take with this, right? Instead, to be like, I, I'm trying, but I am a work in progress. Help me highlight the areas, whether that's your spouse, whether that's a friend. Highlight the areas that when I think I'm up here, maybe I have more to work on than I, than I really can acknowledge myself. And you know, it sounds so simple. It really does, right? Love others. It sounds so simple. And yet what we know is that it is so difficult. And our world is, is hurting right now. It, the hurt looks different in different places, in different spaces. Many people have been hurt and wounded and devastating, devastated by relationships specifically. People cause other people an immense amount of harm. It's been true all throughout history. But what we continue to learn <clears throat> is that the harmful relationships can only be part of the healing process has to be a good, safe, wholesome, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> life-giving relationship. Mom, I should have brought the water. She was like, maybe you should take water up. I was like, I don't need water. Next time, bring water. Forgive me for that. Um, oh, now I lost my train of thought. So that relationships in somebody, for somebody that has been devastated, has been traumatized through a relationship, it is only through a loving, nurturing relationship that healing can occur. And I think that Jesus understood this. I think he led by example in how being that safe, understanding, life-affirming relationship can utterly change the course of somebody's life. Because the love of Jesus, it changes everything. So this entire week I've been struggling a little bit. I'm, I'm a story person, so if I'm up here speaking, I like to have a story that ties in real nicely. Right? Because the truth is, you're going to forget most of the words that have been spoken, but often a story will accompany in a way that can carry with you. And I was like, wow. Not that I, I have failed in this in many ways. Hopefully there's been some somewhat positive stories, but I couldn't think of anything that just cemented really well. And so I was praying, and I was like, Lord, am I just missing the mark? Right? What would you like to speak through me? Who is the, the story? What is the individual you want to share this morning? So I was driving and I was racking my brain with, with all the relationships that I've had, right? From middle school to high school, college, after college, overseas, going back to school. And the lady that came to mind, I'm going to call her Jordan this morning, is a nurse that I had the chance to work with during, initially when COVID had kind of started in a short nursing assignment. And, and picture this, it's 4 a.m. because that's when the shift started, pitch black it's in early May 2020, so the world had recently kind of shut down. It was really cold that May. I don't know if you remember that, but we were outside for this job initially, and so it was cold, I will tell you. And 4 a.m., and this lady walks in, and I am not embellishing this. She walks in with the biggest smile on her face, chipper as ever, and I thought, oh, no. It is 4 a.m. While I do believe that the love of Jesus is very powerful, I'm not even sure that the love of Jesus compels me to be that bubbly in the morning at 4 a.m. 
And I have clearly a lot to work on. That's what we're, that's what we're gathering from this. But she walks in, and what I, what I learned in getting to know her is that she is one of the most positive, bubbly, kind individuals I have ever come across. She does more for other people in a day than I do on a weekly basis. And I, again, am, there is no embellishment with that. She is kind. She is sweet. But as I started to get to know her, and I had the privilege of hearing her story little by little, and it took time to come out little by little, what I heard is how much pain has been caused specifically by Christians in her life. And you could see how much it devastated her. And to be honest, I could see in the ways that she is carrying out the life of Jesus, but almost refuses to acknowledge that because of the pain that she has experienced from other Christians. And I don't know the whole story. There's always two sides, surely. But it just broke my heart. She wants nothing to do with Christians. And so it wasn't a moment when I was like, hey, I'm a Christian, as she's sharing all of this, right? But the point is that through a loving relationship, we eventually got to a point where she asked about my being overseas, asked about some of my profession choices and some of the things that I've done, and I got to share with her about how I genuinely felt like it was the call of God as a follower of Jesus that I went where I did and that I did what I did and that I messed up while I did it. I tried to be as authentic as possible, and I messed that up. I wasn't perfect by any means. But the door through this relationship seemed to slowly be opened, and then you know what? The job stopped, and I haven't talked to her since. And as I was driving this week, I was like, wow. She had reached out once. Whew. Don't worry, I'm not going to cry. She had reached out once after the job ended and was like, hey, you know, we should get together sometime. And I can stand up here and I can tell you that I was busy, right? It's the number one word in America. I was finishing up my master's. I was working. I was applying for jobs. There was a lot going on. And that is one of the biggest devices I think that the enemy can use, that you were busy. There was an open opportunity. The relationship that we had forged had slowly opened a door, and I had left it at that. But the good news is that the love of God is very big. And so while, and you can ask me about this in the upcoming weeks, while this week I will be contacting her, she may very well be like, you know what, I don't have the time. And that's okay. I am not the only one that can offer the love of Jesus, but at the same time, that is an opportunity that I let fall. And that is on me. And I could sit and wallow in that, right? And I could feel so guilty. And don't worry, I did through the week. But at the same time, it doesn't do her or me any good to be stuck in that. Instead, what I can do is, you know what? I'm going to be better tomorrow. I dropped the ball today, but I'm going to be more sensitive to that moving forward. I'm not going to let that happen again. And I'm going to bring that up, clearly in front of the whole church, but I'm going to bring that up to friends of mine so that they can hold me accountable because that's important. And so sometimes I think we're so worried about doing right and wrong, whereas other times, what is the opportunities that are presenting themselves and we are not taking them? How often do you encounter someone who is not a believer? And if the answer is rarely or never, I'm going to challenge you this week to get outside of the box a little bit. And if you're like, you know what, this is just my season of life, that's okay. But in your small group, with those around you, in your church setting, question a little bit. How can I be interacting more intentionally in a loving 
enter into a loving relationship. Christ is for the world. Again, we must engage with the world using our abilities, our positions, our spaces to do so. So why are you here? What brings you to Mount Joy Mennonite Church this morning? Why do you come to church? And while I do hope that many of the reasons that I listed earlier, I hope you come for good fellowship. I hope you come to sing praises, to worship God in person. I do, or online. I hope that that is one of the reasons that you come. But I also think that we have got to step up together in ensuring that one of the reasons that we come is to learn, to challenge, and to encourage each other to extend the love of Jesus to non-Christians. May we step up in being so bold as to combat judgment with humility. To step up and be so bold as to combat hypocrisy with authenticity. To combat the pain of previous relationships and the pain of this world with the kindness and the love and the mercy of God that we so wonderfully are able to receive ourselves. And like the scripture said, may we be wise in the way we act towards non-Christians, making the most of every opportunity, because the truth is opportunities are there. May the good Lord give us the eyes to see them, even when it's inconvenient, especially when it's uncomfortable. John Ortberg, it's my last quote of the day, you're doing great. John Ortberg once said, trying to describe what is the difference between an admirer and a follower. And this is what he said. He said, an admirer is impressed. A follower is devoted. An admirer applauds. A follower surrenders his life. And in describing what he was talking about, in some ways, was the life of Mother Teresa. And what he said is not many people, he said many people admired Mother Teresa. Not many followed her to live among the destitute and dying. I do not want to just be impressed with the life of Jesus. I don't want to applaud how countercultural, how difficult, how selfless the love of Jesus was only. I want to be a follower. I want to be devoted. I want to figure out little by little with my brothers and sisters how we can overcome the evil of this world with the love of Jesus. We cannot erase our mistakes from yesterday, but we can be better today. And who knows, Lord willing, perhaps someday people will recognize Christians by our love. I was reminded of the song as I was, even this morning, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Perhaps someday people will recognize Christians by our love more than anything else.